Welcome to Continuing the Conversation. I'm Carla Muzu. And I'm Glenn Collins. Fos Church is a community creating space for everyone to find hope, beauty, and purpose in the story of Jesus. Continuing the Conversation is one of the ways that we are trying to create space for an expanded dialogue and interactions based on the conversations we are having at Fos Church. Our latest conversation is Sorted Tales of Faith. Yep, that's in the Bible. Join us as we explore some of the seedier stories found in the Bible. There is a moment for anyone raised in the Christian faith when they discover that the Bible is not as neat and tidy as they were taught. How do we learn to sit with the difficult passages of scripture while still learning to engage and critique them? This week, Glenn leads us through an exploration of how to hear old stories through new voices. We look at how reauthoring our stories helps us to move into new places by looking at how the Apostle Paul does it in the New Testament. So Glenn, this past week, we moved beyond the static by talking about how Paul used the concept of reauthoring the story to help expand and add new voices into the growing community gathered around the table of Christ. So what were your thoughts from this past week? Really what I've been sitting with is trying to say, um, what does the community we're moving towards? Because like Paul, when, when he pulled out of some of his own faith tradition, but he pulled it out in a way to actually do a counter reading. Um, it, it checked me because for most of my academic discipline, um, for most of my faith tradition, the point was to get back to, we get back to the original, back to the first manuscript, back to the first reading. If we could get back to, then we could discover what's true, what's beautiful, and what's right. And it's always about trying to go back in time to exist as an anachronism. Yet in this, it, it kind of challenged me to say it's not so important to get back to, which is important because Paul knew his text. And in knowing his text, he could offer a counter reading intentionally rather than accidentally. He could do it on purpose rather than just going, I don't know what I'm saying, so I'll make it up as I go. And to me, that's very important. So in this, it, it pushed me to say, it's not about going back, but about going forward and going forward I take the stories I was raised with, and if they were life-giving and healthy, I continue. If I found moments of critique, pain, or a need to evolve, I actually can use those and still be faithful to them by offering a counter-reading. But that puts me in a little bit more of a um, nebulous place to say, okay, how do I do this in a way that doesn't just suddenly like sweep everybody else's feet out from under them, that it becomes like Paul did, a way to invite more people to the table. That's awesome, man. It's been interesting, like since since the message on Sunday, um, I've been I've been thinking about the idea of reauthoring a story, but it's also been playing in um, parallel to all the stuff that's been happening with uh, the stuff that's happening in the States right now. You know what I mean? With with the way that like just the media cycle is happening in the States. And so I find it really interesting that this notion of reauthoring the story it can be a beautiful thing that creates space, but it can also be a pretty ugly thing that actually limits who can be part of something. And it, it could actually become a call to say, we're going to reauthor the story in order to edit certain people out of it, right? For, or it could be a story that we re-edit to create more space for more people to belong. And I, and, I, and, I, and I love that juxtaposition because it actually then centers into what kind of community are we creating? Are we going to create the kind of community that's fearful and we're going to hold back who can belong? Or are we going to create the kind of community that is loving and operates from a place of love instead of fear and says, we want to be as inclusive as possible. We want to open the table as wide as possible and say, this is Christ's table. We are not the bouncers. We do not make the guest list. And ultimately, the way that we tell the story 
allows us to create that kind of space, right? And so it's been interesting just thinking about those two different things. So like, like I know uh, the story of like, like, like Paul and Galatians that you mentioned in the message, right? Like Paul and Peter, I mean, in the, in the, like you have that, um, those tension moments where Paul fights for a bigger table, you know, you know what I mean? By telling the story. Um, maybe you didn't say that in a message. Maybe, I, maybe I'm, I'm blanking on that part there. <laughs> but, uh, but that's what came to mind anyways, as we talked about the message. So whether you said it or whether I imagined you said it, because that's where my mind went, as you said other stuff, um, Peter and Paul were definitely having a, a conflict over the table. And that was where the metaphor of the table of Christ became so impactful for me, is that um, how dare we resurrect walls that Christ is, you know, Christ literally died to tear down. You know, you know, you know what I mean? And I think that's the whole reauthoring of the story is that through, it's like literally through the cross, the story, it's like a prism and the story can't help but change as it comes to the cross. And as we are more, as we become more in the image of Christ, as we become more cruciform to use the language from Michael J. Gorman, we can't help but see it, see the story in light of the cross, the way like that I think Paul uses the story. No, I love what you're pointing out there because um, to bring a, a modern, uh, woman voice into it is Brene Brown says that one of the easiest ways to get momentum is common enemy intimacy. And I can see within the thing, like you've been referencing what's happening in my country. And you can tell that there's a way to read our settings around us. And let's be honest, we all read our settings. They're just, they don't just naturally come to us to find a necessary enemy and that we can unite against and behind a shared necessary enemy. And our allegiance, our family, our table is only as secure as the shared enemy. So as soon as you lose that person to have a fear base as then you lose the table. And with what you're pushing towards, at least the way I heard you saying it, is moving towards a more expansive storytelling. We actually do lose the shared enemy, but we gain multiple storytellers and a more secure table because it's no longer united behind an enemy. It's because we've decided to defend your place and your right to exist at this table. And like you said, um, we are also guests at the table and we do honor to Christ only to the degree that we honor every guest he has at the table as opposed to vet the list. Yeah, no, exactly, man. And I think like, you know, further on, like we'll, we'll talk more about this when we, when we jump into the questions, but the idea of basically um, refusing to, to have a scapegoat within the community anymore, refusing mm -hmm. to have that, that other who we, we hold up as an enemy. You know what I mean? Um, even if we put quotation marks around it, we, everybody still knows what we're doing. Everybody still knows where we're going with it. And so like the only goat that we have at the table is the one we put in the curry as we're making our curry roti, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. So, um, as we step forward into this, we, we generally have three questions that we ask, a head, heart, and hands. Now the head is a more structural, a more conceptual question. It's the schemas, it's the framework, it's the assumptions we hold that allow us to engage the world. Mm -hmm. But as we critique those, we help us see the world differently. The heart is the, experience, the experiential moment. How these schemas, these structures have um, actually impacted our lives, we're positive or negative. And we can be able to reflect and speak and to see the virtues or weaknesses in them. And then we ask the question of the hands, which is a lived reality, how these new insights, experiences, and frames can enable us to step into the world we hope to see coming and to make it tangible. So for this week, 
the head question is, does Paul's creative use of scripture in Galatians cause any conflict for how you read the text before? Yeah, man. And I thought that was a really good question, especially in light of the way that you used Paul's reading of the text in, in Galatians. And I, and I thought it was really interesting because mostly because of the way that um, that question was answered within the community, because it's one of those things where it was it was like a heady head question. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? It was a little bit of it, it went over people's heads a little bit, truth be told. And, and it created an interesting conversation around it because it was one of those things where people were hesitant to say, you could read the Bible differently than how I've been taught, basically, right? It was like people were were hesitant to actually engage that part of what you were trying to bring forward. And I know for myself personally, you know, like I, like I shared on the Sunday, like it, it, it's one of those things, it has caused conflict for me. And, that, and that's a good thing, actually, because I think conflict is that tension that helps us to actually expand and to, to become... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? More, more inclusive. What, what I would say more inclusive in who in, in the voices that we listen to as we read something, but also more inclusive in in being able to sit with the tension and saying these stories don't all agree. These stories are used differently. This narrative isn't the same as this narrative over here. And for me, it makes the Bible a much more beautiful composition of work, body of work, than to say no. This is like one giant book. It's all meant to agree. It like you know, you're just reading it wrong if you if you don't think it agrees. You're just reading it wrong if you think that Paul is saying anything different than what this is saying over here. And that's the story that we were raised with. You know, come especially both. I think me and you coming from the the, the place like the, the tradition of faith that we come from. And it's so much more beautiful to actually be able to step into the story and say, look at all these diverse parts and this dynamic living, breathing, to kind of jump into Hebrews, you know, active text that is somehow engaged in this conversation and says, hey, guess what? You get to be part of this. Guess what? You tell the story now. We'd love to hear how you interpret it. We'd love to hear how you mm-hmm. change little pieces of it in order to fit your context, in order for you to bring life and breathe new life into the text and for it to bring life into your community. And so for me, like, yes, it creates conflict. That conflict is what creates the beauty. Well, and I like um, what you're pointing to here is as we be able to acknowledge Paul's creative use of text, it caused you to become more present to the text. Because um, like the cheeky phrase of you know, beyond the static, which is not beyond the noise and static reality, but the frozen aspect of to be plastic, to be static, unmoving. It's like you pointed to that to recognize that Paul augmented, changed, nuanced, reread, brought you into conflict, but also brought you very present to the multiple voices in the scriptures and then pushed. And this is the part that I love in it is once we see that it's dynamic, once we see that there are multiple voices and that's not a bad thing, we don't want to be trapped in time to say only year, you know, 47 CE, is it good? It is still a good world today. We're not trying to get back to the first century. We're trying to build the best 21st century that it put you into this uh, more active, engaged posture to say, hey, what are we creating? What are we living into? And like you said, yeah, how do we add our lines to it? So it's not enough for us just to be able to quote Paul well. It's not enough for us to look at Galatians 3 and say he's referencing Deuteronomy 21 because that is only enough if it's a static answer. We have to step into ours and actually have our time fight, wrestle. Um, I think it's Thiessen who says, bridge the two horizons, the horizons of their time period and ours, 
to create a new potential. And that's exciting to me because this means it's not just something to have rote memory. It's not enough just to be able to quote a verse that we have to say, here's how I will use this story to better live into a future I could not see coming. Because in this one, Paul never would have imagined the moment that he used Deuteronomy, especially Deuteronomy, to defend the inclusion of people who were unclean. That's really good, man. And I think it's, it's interesting, like, just as, as, as you're sharing, just some thoughts that come to mind for me as well, is it's, it helps for me to remember that outside of the people who were, like, editing the text down the line, you know, did any, did any of the actual, like, original authors, whoever they are, actually think that they were writing scripture? Like, they were just adding their voice to the community, right? So when we read Luke, and we read Acts, for example, and we and we have the author that that text say, "I'm writing this so that we can have a good account of what happened," right? Mm -hmm. like he's saying, "I want to add my voice to the community. I want to give an organized, you know, uh, confession of of how I've heard the story, basically." Um, and that's a beautiful thing it's to me. And so I think if if it's not till later on do voices then come along like do people then come along and say no these voices are crystallized these are the only voices that can speak and then we try to shove them into like we're trying to shove them into like round holes doesn't matter if they're square doesn't matter if they're triangle and say you see how they all fit together and instead of saying like here's people who heard the story were influenced by the story and then i would say inspired by the holy spirit spoke that story as well I, i'm I'm, mm -hmm. and I'm okay with that language of inspiration and I think that's the beauty of it is that this, this didn't come as some sort of thing where, hey, we're writing the canon. We're writing what we're, this book is going to be called the Bible down the line. And everybody is going to hold on to exactly what we say very literally, right? <laughs> no, they, 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 they spoke it as conversation. They spoke it as letters. They spoke it as them telling this beautiful story. And so I think we need to speak with the same inspiration and the same passion, not because we think that our words are going to be canonized or some crap like that, because I think that like that, like, Honestly, I think there's a handful of people that would be like, wow, that's awesome. Everything I say is going to be canon. But I think for most of us, it's just like there's something beautiful that happens when we allow the inspiration, I would say, of the Holy Spirit, but also the inspiration of, of the past, present, and future community of Christ to inspire us, to, to, for us to add our voice to the story. And so, so just something like what you were talking about, just really kind of pulled that piece to me that, no, that the authors of these texts were, were, were joining the conversation and they never meant it to be static. They meant it to be dynamic from the get-go because they added their voice. You know what I mean? And they hoped that others would also add their voices. And somehow we made it static and it was meant to be dynamic. Well, we shrunk, we shrunk our world um, to the world of the absolutely tangible. And we forgot that a majority of what we experience can be named in different ways that are unprovable. Um, our relationships, we, we use term to talk about love, joy, comfort, solidarity, loyalty, but those do not come close to that experience of the humanness connecting to humanness. Um, uh, I forget the feminist scholar's name that said, that actually went into the use of Exodus and said that um, in the story of Abraham, it actually uses, I am for God and, or sorry, Moses, and I am for Moses. And she said, the I am stands before the I am that there's these mutual knowingness of being. And that's what gives us the potential for life. And with this, like, yeah, I think there's the most beautiful thing is to realize we're a link in the chain of interpretation, not the last word. And if we're a link in the chain of interpretation, the, the chain breaks 
if we don't add our voice to it, we actually do harm to the story of interpretation by not adding this time period, this moment, this, this present incarnate experience of today reading to the text. But it's not to demand of the next generation. It's so that the next generation, when they put their link to the chain, their line to the poem, their riffs to the song, they move from some of the things that we've gifted, that we've done, that we've known, that we've born. And they'll see things that are beautiful and things that are painful. They'll see things they said, that riff worked. And they'll see something go, wow, you were out of tune. But without yeah. that potentiality, we freeze in time wherever the chain broke. And it is so interesting to look at church history and see how much that part of the story, the part that we're meant to be links in the chain has been missed because reality is, is that for a very long time, you know, I mean, better part of a thousand years, we've been transmitting or retransmitting certain theologies that have now become paramount within the version of the Christian, you know, within most versions of the Christian faith, actually. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that like they be, like we've made the main things things that were not even footnotes in the actual stories, and 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 it's it's just interesting that when you make something static, um, the parts that kind of come to the surface don't like tend to be the parts that aren't the dynamically engaged parts, in a sense. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and 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 it somehow turns the story on its head. So instead of becoming a story about liberation and grace and inclusion. Um, it's become a story of fear and 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 exclusion and how do we be, get people to behave properly and things like that like like it completely flipped on its head like here's Jesus who never behaves properly and it's like if you're a good Christian you'll behave properly right like <laughs> <laughs> no I love that aspect because Jesus the one who they said was a, was a drunkard and a glutton no and a, don't um, forget a friend of sinners yeah it's like when when I was younger and a, a bit more um reckless in my activities at no point at any party if you were sitting there trying to convert everyone condemn everyone or be like how dare you would you be invited to the next party they'd be like oh no 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 don't don't put him on this text link just we'll see him at school it'll be okay yeah because you're terrible for a party and jesus for whatever we say what it means to be christian was brilliant at a party and Paul, Paul started by being terrible at a party. He killed Stephen. Through the experience of Christ, he became good at the party and reread Deuteronomy, which was terrible at the party, as a way to say, no, nah, no, nah, this is how we know that everyone can be here. And ironically, as we move towards a static understanding of text, we actually ignore Paul and try to move back to a Let's not be fun at a party. Yeah. Yeah, man. So as you're saying that, man, I had like, like I had the ultimate like dad joke moment in my, that come, can come to mind, man. Like the reason why Paul was bad at a party because he didn't like hanging out with people who got stoned. Wow. <laughs> wow. I told you, man. Ultimate dad joke. Ultimate dad joke moment. Just for anyone, if you are listening and don't get the terrible pun he did was that was how he encouraged them to kill Stephen in Acts. So the stoning was with the rocks, not with um, the devil's cabbage. <laughs> the devil's cabbage. <laughs> <laughs>
Wow, that's awesome, man. All right, well, with that, man, let's move on to the next hand question. Does seeing a hope that promises our future rather than one which defines our past affect how we engage the Bible, community building, and faith? Yeah, um, this really affects the way I engage because in one that my hope is rooted in the past, is a past event, a past experience, um, it kind of reminds me, because I was raised Pentecostal, and um, if you ever want to know if a preacher is unprepared in Pentecostal service, you'll see how much they insist on testimony time. Because like, does anybody have a testimony? No one stepping up is like, how about you, Brother Izzy? I know you always have a good word. That means their notes aren't ready. And you, I used to get raised in this, and since it was in the past, it was always about avoiding sin, being clean, and just trying to make it to heaven one day about a past event that guaranteed it, the Willy Wonka golden ticket that gets me out of this world into the next. Their testimony was always the same. I thank God 15 years ago, 17 years ago, 27 years ago, one lady um, I knew there was like, she said, I thank God 53 years ago that I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Um, like five and a half decades later, and all it is is a hope of a past event. And with the way I engage community building, how I read the text, I used to look at like, how do I know these past events were real? Rather than how do I work from the stories here as a rich tapestry and source to be able to say, what is the best future I can imagine and work towards? Because my hope isn't in a past event, isn't in a past reading of a story. It's in the community to come and the way we can read the story, the potentialities of the story to include more, to be more, to help more, to rescue more. And faith didn't become an abstract thing. It became a tangible concept of faithfulness, a responsive act to those around me to show that I will be present and here, which then mm -hmm. drew me into community rather than had me vetting the community. It said, how can we live into a future together rather than how can I create a litmus test to make sure you deserve to have the future I want. No, that's good, man. I, I, would, I would push a little, like, like I agree with what you're saying. I would push a little bit on it in the sense that I would maybe even change from like, like a pro promising our future um, versus reflecting our past. And maybe saying um, something about like, like, like causing us to be present in this moment versus reflecting on the past. Because I think, at least the tradition that I grew up in, they had no problem reflecting on a future hope. That hope, though, just um, wasn't very hopeful for most people. It was <laughs> the world is going to burn. Jesus is going to return. And we're all going to get the hell out of here or heck out of here, heaven out of here. <laughs> no, you know no what that's what they're trying to escape. Yeah. Um, and I think that is also just as destructive of a, of, of a way of holding on to of, on, on holding on to the story as looking you know five and a half decades back and saying it was really cool that jesus saved me and i'm like hey it's cool that jesus saved you and it's really mm -hmm. cool that, that you know jesus will still save us in, in in the future tense as well um but what does this moment mean and, and that's why i said i really I agree with what you're saying because you brought it back to this present moment and i think that's the part that i think all of us have the hardest time being in because if you're like me um you're very future oriented so future oriented that like, you know, what my mentor once said about me, Carl, you have a hard time living in the present. It's like, you visit us once in a while, but you really, you rarely show up. And it's like, cool, I get that. And so I've really worked hard on learning how to be present in this moment. And for me, reading the scripture, reading the story and seeing the story actually, instead of 
calling me to some glorious future that I can hope for. It's actually calling me to a, mo a present moment that I, I get to enjoy and embrace and be part of. And it's, it's that present moment that creates a future worth hoping in, actually. Mm. No, that's good. And yeah, my, my question wasn't structured well. That that's what I was trying to lean towards because um, the future hope to me um, and any time we can have Saint Caputo speak into our conversation, it's good. Um, was positioning the hope as projectile, that thing coming yeah. at you that it says um, Caputo says it you either have to dodge, move, or get hit by it, but you cannot be remain unaffected. To where the hope of the fifty three years ago I was saved is exactly what you're saying. Um, at least the way I imagined it for the question of it's my escape route. I know I have a ticket to leave this country eventually. I know I have a ticket to be able to go on the Titanic and have the time of my life, but you know, I have to wait for the ship to arrive so I can board. Um, yeah. and, and it's, it's a past hope that will be realized someday in the future, which to me, the future hope, is about the community to come, the people that can start storytelling. It's something that you couldn't have just looking backwards. You have to start moving towards. But yeah, I like your I like your presentness because yeah, um, that might have been a more clear way to structure it to say, how does this help us to be present as opposed to past? Yeah, and, and it's it's interesting as well. Like just like when you talk about kind of like um, that moment of salvation. Because then, and then looking towards that future glory kind of thing, uh, and it turns, it turns the present moment into some sort of divine waiting room, mm -hmm. right? And so, it literally, literally, that interpretation of the story turns like the create, like turns creation into like a Protestant um, purgatory in a sense. You know what I mean? It's that thing that if we do, and like once we're saved, like we don't get saved by works, but we got to work pretty hard to make sure that God's happy with us when we get to heaven, right? Like that's kind of like the motto that, <laughs> that we're told, like Protestant work ethic, right? And it's, 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 we don't it's get just, saved by works, but it helps a lot. Yeah, like, well, we get, we get a, you know, we get a better mansion in heaven, right? Like, it's like, you made it into heaven by the skin of your teeth, but do you want a mansion? Mm-hmm. So I just want to say a shout saved? out to an old Pentecostal preacher I used to work under. Now he knew nothing of languages um, and ancient societies, but he was a gifted man of God. And he said, Glenn, you know, I know there's a debate in John about whether it's a room in a mansion or a mansion. And I think his old Mississippi wisdom should always win. Because he said, when I go home, I get a room in my mama's house. She brings me some sweet tea and some fried catfish. It's the best day I have all year. Because in the in a room in my mama's house, he goes, I don't clean and I don't have to look after anything. I just get to experience the beauty of Mississippi. Said, but when you own the place and it's a mansion, you have to pay taxes, you have to fix the roof, and you have to do yard work. Said, so I don't hope for a mansion in heaven because I hope just for a room in God's house. Yeah. See, amen. Amen. Um, if I was more Pentecostal and I could actually tap into those roots in a, in a, in a real, like, non-mocking way, I would have had some hallelujahs and amens in there as well. But, you know what I mean? <laughs> Amen. That's, that's what you get. Amen. But I'm, I'm curious, with, with that draw towards the present that you spoke of, because that, to me, affects real strongly how we do community building and faith becomes faithfulness 
rather than a past statement of belief or structure. Um, how does that presence help you kind of connect with like Paul's was present to his rereading? What does that look like then? Like that structure hitting, um, how do we be present to those styles of rereading to create the space for a dynamic present rather than a fixed past? That's good. Well, just like sticking with Galatians, because that's the text that you were ultimately surfing around. I feel like, and I think we talked about this actually in the last in the last one or a couple ones back, where we talked about fruit of the spirit and this notion of like you know like like love, joy, patience, peace, all that kind of all that good stuff, self control, all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think for me at least, I, and I, I say I've said this before, like if this helps you to love Jesus more and to love others more good for you right and i and I, but i would i would expand that to say if this helps you to love jesus more to love people more and then we, and then we look at your life and we say like like i think faithful like we always look like how do i put it um i'm, try, I'm, I'm just trying to i'm trying to come up with the right right phrasing for this so in like like, like um, the americanized version of christianity that is ever popular in the world around us at least our world around us that we that we mm -hmm. that we know um fruitfulness is faithfulness versus faithfulness produces fruit you, you you know what i'm saying and so when we when we read the text we we want to we, we limit it down to a certain scope because we kind of have this gmo version this gmo version of, of 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 faith that says like look how much we can look look at our crop look at look how much we can yield with this way of doing something versus um using uh just an, a, an organic way of, of walking through it and saying, you know what, isn't it really like, look at, look at all the faithfulness to how things are going. And some, 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 some are really fruitful. Some are not so fruitful or whatever the case is, but there, I think there's a beauty to the, there's a beauty to being able to appreciate that. Does that make, I don't know if that makes sense. In the, the no, way if you're I, asking if I'm question. hearing you right um, with the analogy that you're working with, it's the GMO model is just about fruitfulness is how productive can you be? So it turns into, I have a Sabbath hour in a week. I can't have a day because I can't afford to have a day to where I rest. Mm -hmm. So I'll get an hour, I'll get Sabbath minutes, which, you know, you have seasons like that, but that becomes the consistent and the gold standard that shows that you're truly spiritual. Yeah. And so your fruitfulness, your busyness proves your faithfulness rather than because I'm faithful and faithful is always to an object that is a living being. I'm faithful to a community. I'm faithful to a person. I'm faithful to God in the other. Exactly. Produces the fruitfulness, which looks like a higher ability to be um, almost divinely relational, the, the movement towards loving, kindness, patience, well, long suffering. Exactly. And like, Those things are all about being hyper present. Mm -hmm. all, all of the, the fruit of the spirit is, is not about future object, you know, future, future objectivity or anything like that, or even being in the mm -hmm. past, like all those things have to take place in the present. And I'd say if you're with that comparison you're making where I really like it is um, we're so used to being able to go to the supermarket and because of chemicals, because of GMOs, we can grab whatever we want when we want it. And in this agrarian society that Paul would have been in, fruit was very well known for being it will be in season, it will be out of season. Um, it won't just be always producing. There'll be time trees go dormant. Yeah. And then 
because of the cycles of life, you'll become more fruitful in these areas again, it, as it's, opposed it's to saying exactly. it only matters if like, I can chart a fast paced. And even though we really like the notion of um, the 1% met better motif, but that wouldn't have been present. We don't always have to measure and say I'm 1% better. They yeah. can say because I'm faithful, which means I am present and with, I am growing in. And that too is of God. Exactly. And, and I think it's been, it's really interesting to me. Two things is that as I've kind of been learning, I've just been learning about like healthy eating and things like that, just trying to mm -hmm. like, like better my own diet and things like that. And one of the things that I've found really interesting is the notion of eating seasonally. So like, like when you go to your grocery store, buy the things that are actually in season, because those are the things that are going to come from local producers, but also is that our bodies adapt to being in certain, in, in a certain rhythm of how we're supposed to actually eat. And by not having certain things in your diet at certain times of the year, it actually causes your body to go to a cleansing mode, a natural cleansing mode. And so all these toxins and things that build up in our bodies, because we're constantly eating the GMO things that are available to us all the time. Um, when we seasonally eat, and we, only, we eat the things that are only available in that season, our bodies naturally cleanse itself with the toxins that, that build up within it. And, 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 and it's like we're, like we're designed to, to be fruitful and we're designed, we're, we're designed to be faithful, I think. And so if we're faithful to see, if we're faithful to a way of living and a way of, of following Jesus, like, like you would be faithful to a way of eating seasonally, it's naturally going to cleanse you of those kind of toxins that would actually hinder future fruitfulness. Because most GMO mm -hmm. products aren't actually fruitful products they they they, they, they like you they're, they're one crop and they're dead that's it you know you know, you know what i mean and so mm -hmm. but to bring it back to text a little um but you're right and we'll st step away from gmo corn and get a, a little bit more into galatian i think well, something you're well, pointing so, so, oh, so go ahead because one thing i well, want no, to I was say to. Um, so, something you're pointing to that i think is uh, brilliant in this is being more present to those seasons and that which can actually nurture you, um, feed you at certain points and need to be cleansed at certain points allows us for something that you and I have experimented with um, throughout our years in ministry is allowing different voices to read because like Paul's creativity, he used text differently when he was lamenting going back into birthing pains for his community or he was celebrating like in First um, Thessalonians. He uses scripture differently depending on the season he's in within the community and having always the gmo um fruitfulness equals faithfulness mindset um you don't actually have space for those different things to be able to purge your system you don't have space for the laments because laments are not productive you don't have space for the celebrations because let's be honest celebration is only productive if you make it super limited so you get mm -hmm. a pat on the back between shifts where you go here's a $5 Starbucks card. Now let's get back into line. Like these ebbs and flows are not the most productive, but they are the most human. And it gives us ways to read the text, like with Paul's creative readings, to step into it and say, you know what? I'm actually lamenting. So I might read the text differently today. I'm in a cause for celebration. I might actually read the text differently today. Yeah. I've been witnessing social justice issues like when we did um, the story of Hagar, it's like, I'm noticing social justice issues. I might focus on her story differently today because of the cultural lament I'm, I'm hearing. And it gives us those seasonal ability to be present within the text, even within the stories that we've heard a thousand times. Yeah. 
exactly. And I think in order for things to grow deep and to grow rich and to grow abundantly, there has to be times when the ground lays fallow. Like it's mm-hmm. actually part of the seed. It's actually part of growth. It's part of fruitfulness. And um, so like, let me I, ask you then in this particularly, especially for that concept. So with how the um, present future hope, as opposed to the past to future hope, um, helps affect the way we engage the Bible and community building. What does fallowedness look like while we're faithful in community building? Well, I, and, and that's where I was actually going to go was in this season of of COVID. You know, you know what I mean. Um, we were forced to stop trying to be productive, and it's really hard for guys like me and you, who were both Type A, were both taught that. You know, like you're kind of measured by what you do, like your worth, your value comes from that. Um, and so just in all honesty, like it was really hard for me to be satisfied with what God was doing in FOS because it wasn't as productive as it could have been. If I'm if just being really honest, like I was always stoked with like, okay, like these are really cool stories and things coming out. But instead of taking moments to celebrate, to be present to, it was like, cool story, bro move on to the next thing. Now we're like, we gotta, we gotta keep building. We gotta keep doing something. And what I found that we were actually doing is we were doing a lot of busy work. We were doing a lot of things that, that by, by other people's standards was like, Hey, like you guys are really busy. You guys are like that. Things must be going good for you because you are busy. When reality was those busy moments were the things that sucked the life out of our community. And it was actually this fallow moment of having to like, it's almost like, the Israelites in exile, in a sense, where you're forced out of what you're forced out of where out of the land. The land lays fallow. You come back, and all of a sudden, we we're, our imaginations are different. Like we, we're we're stepping into this new season and saying, okay, like that's what we, we were trying to really be busy. We're trying to build folks in a certain way, but let's we come back and our imaginations are renewed. Our imagination is because we actually had those fallow moments to to, to allow us to actually come to the table and say, what is the, what we're being faithful in this season. You know, you know what I mean? We're being faithful and that faithfulness is bearing a different kind of fruit. Like is bearing a different kind of fruit than the GMO version of quote unquote church planting and things like that, that we were trying to engage ourselves in before. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah. I just, uh, I was thinking of some of the, the meetings we've got to have about trying to reflect on what we measure and cause we, you need to measure, you need to have growth. Like these aren't bad things. Um, but it was always like something went well it's great and we'd be like so how do we do it one percent better next time yeah. as opposed to just sitting in the moment it's like oh yeah that hit but here's my four points of where i think we dropped the ball which again um we should have those like the church should be about excellence as well oh, we, we should have moments to say we can do better we can communicate better we can be more inclusive we can um regulate what it means to be family we like we get to enter into these ways. We can do better storytelling. Um, but when the only thing we really get energy out of is the critique, is the how could we do it better? We miss so many beautiful moments within the community. Like we've got to witness recently with um, new people stepping up and saying, I want to share my voice. And it's like, those are the moments that actually um, show a beautiful uh movement within the community as opposed to just saying how do we measure the efficiency of our program so the first hard question that we want to talk about is this 
What is the biggest obstacle to hearing different readings and accepting that those voices also belong with us at Christ's table? For me, the biggest obstacle to hearing different voices um, or different readings or, you know, accepting those voices with us at Christ's table, to me, to me, honestly, is probably familiarity, I think, because like the voices that I'm most familiar with are the voices that I've built up a resistance to hearing, I think. Right. And so like, like in the place that I'm in, in my life now, I am very, I think I'm very attuned at least I could be wrong, but I think I'm very attuned to hearing the voices of the press, the voices that are marginalized. I look for those voices. I want to centralize those voices. I want to bring them in from the margins, but the voices that I have now marginalized and I kind of put them in their own ghetto using that language intentionally are the voices that I grew up with that no longer seem to work for me anymore. Or they, they rub me the wrong way. They, they kind of chafe me um, when, when, I, when I hear them begin to speak. You, 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 know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so the biggest obstacle for me, that's why I say familiarity. It's, it's because it's like I, I, have, I have no problem listening to voices I disagree with. But it's the voices that I disagree with that I've listened to for 30 plus years now. I really have a hard mm-hmm. time with those voices. And, and it's because I think there's been damage done to me by those voices at different times. I've been wounded by those voices at different times. I've been the I've been with those voices spoke against at different times, especially as I've evolved as a person over the years or evolved in my faith over the years. And so now those voices that were once the nurturing voices that raised me are hostile voices that want to attack and exile me um, or excommunicate me in a sense from, from the body of Christ or from Christ's table. And so I, I feel like in a defensive posturing, I don't know what to do with those familiar voices anymore. It's like, it's like how, do, how do we create space for them to be present when I feel their very presence negates my presence at the table? Oh, that makes sense. Cause um, it's, it's always like, um, I forget what uh, like psychologist I was reading, but they said, the thing that people have the hardest time dealing with is what's been revealed that is our, that is partly true to them. And these things that are partly true of us are some of the stories that we have lived. We haven't made peace with those stories. And as they get agency, as they get revealed to be connected to us, we have this more like visceral response. Because if it's not us, if it's something we never identified with, um, like for me, it, it'd be like, if, if it was something that could be like, homophobic like sometimes they can get a little gunshot but oh well ah, mm, ah, and i'll have a stronger response because i was raised in a very um particular kind of masculinity that the worst insult you could do to a guy was to say that they could be attracted to another guy and that discredited you and so because of that i can get a little reactionary there because it's part of my story i had been and it's not who i am now but because it's a phase i don't quite make peace with it turns into something that I can be reactionary against to where if you told me like, oh, Glenn, no, you were racist or you hated Russians. It'd be like, cool, you're weird, but I'm glad that's what you think. Um, and it, it, it becomes some of these more pointed things that were part of an identity I used to have. And yeah, I, I can see that I didn't think of it that way that those are some of the obstacles I have. If you remind me of stances I held that I can't hold anymore, it makes it impossible for me 
impossible might be too much, but it makes it difficult for me to be able to say there's virtue or there's wisdom or there's something beneficial in your insights. I just want to kind of chop the whole thing and be like, root and stem, this is gone. Yeah, no, for sure, man. Right, like, And again, like I don't say this in an accusatory way or anything like that, so don't take it that way, hopefully. But, I do. You're a jerk. <laughs> but I look, at, I look at your response to this past election cycle, right? Like where for me, I, I was looking at it like, these people seem crazy to me. Interesting thoughts. That sounds crazy. But I noticed a much more visceral response from you in the in the midst of it. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and it would make sense in light of what you're saying now, because root and stem, you had to tear that part of you out or you hope to have, that you hope that you have torn it out. Mm -hmm. and, it, and, and, and maybe there's some lingering elements that aren't active, per se, um, but you don't know how that they're so commingled with memories and, and all that kind of good stuff or how we you know how the way that we tell stories in our lives that you don't know how to honor the stories that they come from in a sense and say like there's good parts to it without and and, and still acknowledging the vileness of some of the stuff as well right like there's, there's just there's just two mm -hmm. parts to it and i like again being canadian i don't have that part of my history so watching americans i'm like wow this is entertaining y'all are some crazy people well, no, that, that's a great case in point. What makes it hard to hear some voices in Christianity is just the same thing that's hard to hear some other voices in politics. Um, for me, it, this is a much more personal thing. These are my people. And part of the thing I see happening with the divisiveness of the conversation is some of the people who I thought were my people that we disagreed have told me to leave the country, that I don't belong in America anymore, that, that um, I've become a liberal who hates america I was like no I, I love america actually this is my country i want to see it more beautiful prosperous and godlike um that to where we take care of the hungry the poor the marginalized that when jesus talks about the sermon on the mountain it's like yeah we fight for that um and so it, it hurts it makes yeah you're right a much more visceral response because not only is it are these stances that i come from but I may have changed in some of my stances, but extended social networks, places I've come from, actual meaningful relationships haven't. And so it creates this breaking moment that can, um, because of the pain of it, can cause a strong response. It's like, well, screw me, screw you. What? You're an idiot. And it turns into this very, you don't know the facts. Let me break it down for you in a condescending way so you understand that not only am I above you, but I'm so far above you, I have to stoop down to even look at you. Yeah. And yeah, it's like, it makes it very difficult when they have a point. And I actually had to find myself when they raised some points to go research their points, not to discredit, to be like, I actually don't think I know anything about what you said. No, and definitely. I need to start go reading on it because I've been so caught in my new identity and the visceral response I've had to people experiencing me after a time apart, that that fight has consumed my ability to hear. Well, I think that might be, a, it might be a great place to transition into the second heart question. When have you been positively affected by a new voice reading old stories? I know for me that the parts that have been the positive effect, um, for the tradition I come from has actually been to hear how the old voices find a humanity present and a movement towards compassion. And I, to realize that even though it, it can feel natural to villain, 
to vilify the um, stories we came from if we no longer identify with them, but to still see that we do have the shared humanity still and the movement towards each other and compassion and a grace that says, even if we disagree, even if we don't see eye to eye, I'll be present for you, which to me transcends um, a detailed reading. I can't think, like, I can't, honestly, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, like a particular moment, like to tell a story around it. Um, but, but there's so many different moments where, again, the idea of new voices reading old stories mm -hmm. kind of pops up for me. And, I, and I, I think of all the different times where I heard somebody reread a story that I was familiar with, and it just, it opened my eyes to something in the story that I'd never saw before. Right. And, and I think it's, you know, like those moments. When, 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 we, when I see those moments in the story now, it's like I can no longer read the story the old way. The new voice broke through and I can only hear that new voice when I read the story. And there's still mm -hmm. moments where some, another voice speaks and it's like, oh, wow, whoa, wait, wait a minute. I didn't see that before. Now I cannot unhear it now. You, you, know, you know what I mean? And I think for me, um, those are like really beautiful moments for me at least, like where, you, you know, like you obviously have like Walter Brueggemann and N.T. Wright and people like that, where I read every time I read one of their books, it even even though I feel like I'm so they've become so familiar voices in the background for me, they still offer me little new in, like little little nuanced insights where I'm like, I didn't see that before, kind of stuff. Or you know, like to um, our the, the, the professor that we both had in Bible college, Dr. Manning, who um, taught us like, like literally taught us to ask better questions of the text. Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, now I can't help but hear his voice when I read certain parts of the text. I'm like, I can't read the story of the fig tree the same way in, in, in the gospels, you know what I mean? Because he opened up something new for us when we sat down and, and we literally did so. And he just kind of pointed out a few pieces of the story and all of us, our mind, our, our heads were literally blew off the top, you know what I mean? And we heard the story for the first time in a new way, like or for a fresh in a fresh way. And it was like, wow, I can't hear the story any different now. But the thing is like, like I'll be honest, like, I've moved on from that reading of that story now, but it showed me that the reading wasn't static. It showed me that the reading was dynamic, that like with a little bit of, with a little bit of play and you hear the echoes and you hear all these different, you hear all the other ways that people have told the stories, it actually layers and creates this mm -hmm. kind of Gregorian chant thing that, 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 that allows us to enter into the story as well, if that makes sense, you know what I mean? Oh, it does. And a part that you bring up that, um, at least for me, that what the, what's a really big positive experience from the new voices is that the things I take for granted, the other person says, why? And suddenly it makes this gospel, it makes the biblical narrative strange again. And yeah. it's, it's no longer domesticated. It's no longer mine. Yeah. Like you said, when he, when Dr. Manning pointed out some of the historical movements through their symbolism and John, and you're like, Oh, whoa, that, that was amazing. Um, it at times when we get used to the text, I think we turn it tame, so it no longer has a big conviction and no longer has a big movement, a call to the other. It's like, oh yeah, that's about me. Um, as N.T. Wright says, like we read it like future insiders, so we always identify ourselves with Jesus or one of his disciples, never as the scribe, the Pharisee, or the tax collector sitting around me, like, who's the scrub over here trying to tell me how to live? Um, and that's the most beautifully jarring part when they're like, why would you read it that way? And like, oh, these aren't absolute assumptions. These, how I've learned to read. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to you because maybe, maybe these are things I brought into it. 
definitely. And I, I, I was just kind of even like build on what you're saying there, where like outsider voices, outside like outsider voices that have have critiqued the way that I read the story, and mm-hmm. have said like Carl, the way that you read the story is actually hurtful to me. The way that you read the story um, cuts me out of the story. It doesn't allow me to participate with the story. And yeah. to honestly hear those critiques. And then say, well, how do you hear? How would you read the story? And ask them, and listen to the way that listen to their voice being added to the story, has also been some of the most illuminating moments for me. You know, uh, like I know, like even like in in one of the earlier series that we did, I believe like this year, and um, when we talked, when uh, we did a series through Genesis, and me and you, like we're like, man, what a great series, right? And we and we were talking with Megan, and just missing a female voice, and me and you thinking through that series, all of a sudden she's like that's really male centric. And both of us were like, what? Like, like it wasn't like, we didn't take it in a negative way, but, but her voice being added into that conversation, it drastically improved the kind of conversation that we can mm-hmm. have as a community. Right. And, and, and I love those kind of moments because her new voice reading the old story of Genesis with us. And all of a sudden now, like we, like we shifted the whole focus of, I think two out of four messages, like we added a message in it and then completely we did mm-hmm. another message. And those are some of the more powerful moments that we had within that series. Well, it just, it goes to point, like, um, for us, we, we actually had a strong series to go through, but it just showed it reflected us. So when men were the headliners of all the stories, we're like, yeah, no problem. We're good. It, it took someone saying, exactly, when she's like, um, but what about the powerful women in these stories? They're like, oh, yeah, they're part of it, too, huh? Um, and I'd say as much as I, I say this every time we talk about this sort of thing, if you are a white Christian in America or in Canada, I'm pretty sure if you're white and you're Christian, you should read James Cone, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. And I say it because it had such a powerful impact for me because mm-hmm. I've studied church history. I've read both neighbors. Um, I've read Christ and culture, but when he brought in the fact that you had black men swinging from trees being lynched in the same town that Reinhold Niebuhr did his lecture of Christ and culture. And he did not mention the strange fruit swinging from Southern trees kind of idea. And he said, no, they missed a moment to see Jesus in the culture, but Jesus wasn't where they thought they would see him inside the assembly hall, listening to the lecture. Jesus was swinging in the Southern trees. Yeah. And that moment was impactful for me. And I honestly think, and I tell people all the time, I put it on Facebook and Instagram, and this is probably the sixth time I've said it on this podcast, read that book if you're a white Christian and a pastor, because we have to be able to hear the voice of the ones that don't look like us, sound like us, read like us, and they are gifted, prophetic, and powerful like Cone. Yeah, Definitely. And what, like, so jumping onto the, to the whole book recommendation tip, like you are doing, um, I would say if you are male and Christian, you should read She Who Is by Elizabeth Johnson. Mm, and again, yes. it's, it's another book that will drastically, I, I'm not going to go into detail about it just because honestly, we're running out of time on the podcast, but I think it's one of those things that you need to read stuff that's outside of your comfort zone. And I guarantee when you read that book, it will be outside of your comfort zone. Um, for most men, Honestly, when somebody uses the, like a feminine pronoun for God, they cringe a little bit. And it's like, well, God's a man. Of course, God's a man. Um, because we honestly can't see past ourselves. We'll just say that. Oh, bro, bro, past- come on. Let's at least be fair here. 
most of us, until you ask for the female pronoun, say, of course, God's non-gendered because God's spirit, God's beyond, God, God's not this physical corporal entity that we can gender. It's like, okay, so God's she. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. God non-gendered, but God's not she. Um, and we get, we get stuck there. Yeah. But we always start from that nicety to say, of course, this thing doesn't matter. It's not weighted. It's not real. It's, it's not connected. And then like, go against that reading. It's like, I can't. Yeah, no, I think it, she she who is brings us into that conflict. Yeah. So, anyways, well, while we're on the book recommendation tip, I wanted to just mention that book because I feel like if you're a man, you need to read it. Honestly, if you're anybody, you should read it. But if you're a man, you need to read it. And if you are white and Christian, then you need to read Crossing the Lynching Tree because I think they're going to open up your perspective to like it's the whole thing, the whole notion of how have you been positively affected by new voices reading old stories? Mm -hmm. Well, these are new voices reading old stories. And it will expand your perspective, even if you disagree with it, even if it's challenging for you, even if you find yourself coming into conflict with it, allow the tension to reside long enough to actually cause you to grow. And I'd say it's also important if you're a woman who've always learned from male voices, this is an amazing, gifted, scholarly representation of the sacred feminine. Yes. That will give you a way to say, your voice may not be so strange. So if you've heard it, it's like, wow, God always saw I'm so male that I don't know what to do with it sometimes because obviously God's not like me. Um, this will give you some great language and experience to go into. Definitely. Um, but, and again, if you're like, well, you recommended a white woman, well, let me recommend a black woman without even recommending any of her works because if you pick up any one of her books, you will be blessed. Kelly Brown Douglas. Just, oh, yes. You know absolutely. So if you're like, you want a black woman because like that's just how you're feeling right now. Like white guilt is really bothering you and your white privilege and all that kind of stuff. Kelly Brown Douglas is awesome. Go get it. You know what I'm saying? Go get it. <laughs> you're making it sound like you think uh, only people with my my um, unique sensitivity to sunlight um, are listening. No, I'm just saying if you happen to be white. I didn't say if our white listeners all of our listeners, are white. I didn't say anything like that, man. You know, so I know at least I, I know at Kelly least a Douglas, couple of black though? people to listen to this. At least a couple of black people. <laughs> but Kelly Douglas, whew. Kelly Brown Douglas, Kelly Brown Douglas, can't forget Brown. I, I'm sorry, I left the brown out. As I thought her and I were close like that, we're friends now. She doesn't know it, but I do. Like we're like this. We're almost um, Facebook buddies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I'm one of her thousand followers on Instagram. She knows me. I've liked posts. Um, yeah, I was like, oh, she's beauty. And actually, I think this segues very well into the hands. Yeah. Where it says, what can we do to make it easier to see that these other voices also have a place with us at the table of Christ? I don't know if this is easier, because I think this actually may be the harder route to go with it, right? Is that <laughs> <laughs> we walk in with the assumption that everybody belongs. Everybody, every single person belongs at the table of Christ. And when we hold that assumption, we then have to change the set of questions that we engage them with. It's no longer, well, prove to me, like prove to me that you belong here. And we ask them a litmus, te a litmus test of questions that say, well, you're either in or you're out. But if you already belong here, then I actually want to, I'm curious. I want to know why you follow Jesus. I want to know why Jesus is important to you. I want to mm. know why you chose to sit down at this table. 
not because I, I, I think I, I'm a gatekeeper and I can tell you to leave or something like that, but I'm actually curious about why you're here now. And I think then once I do the hard work of everybody belongs, I get to hear the beauty of why they chose to be present. But I never get to hear the beauty of why they chose to be present if I'm so concerned about if they belong or not. Yeah, because gatekeepers, um, like I spent a few years in seminary or a year in seminary working as a doorman at a uh, local club and bar. And the thing we never cared about was how you got in line. Only if your ID was right to get in. Yeah. The people who cared of if you're there were inside of the party since you referenced Jesus was good at parties. The one who was inside of the party cared how you got there and why. The person at the door just cared if you belonged. Yeah. And they vetted you. And I know for myself in this, um, one of the hardest things to do in this of how do we make it easier to hear these voices was to realize like um, being cisgendered white male in North America, especially um, most of my studies have been in biblical education. Can you pause for one second? Because like, I know, I know what you just said. And I think some people know what you just said. But I think a lot of people have no idea what you just said, actually. And I think this is actually one of those moments where we need to sidebar to say, hey, let's learn something together. Dude, you just yellow carded me and that's not cool, bro. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just said that when we talk about our idea of how we recognize ourselves, uh, we speak of, do we understand ourselves? Cisgendered would mean that my biological gender and how I understand myself and genderedness match. And so if we're dealing with people from the LGBTQ community, just know when, when they say, oh, you're cisgendered, you won't know. All they're saying is you've always been comfortable with your biological gender and your felt identity matching. Um, heteronormative is to say that you're, you're attracted to the opposite sex. So in this, I'm just saying, I represent the largest percentage of the population and when we're talking about at least America, um, whiteness is something that we tend to value or at least we see. So when we think of an American, let's be honest, unless we think of urban American or qualify it, usually the person that pops into your head is white. And They'll look a lot like me, maybe a little bit taller because, well, Well, I think of James Dean. Huh? I think of James Dean. There you go. Yeah. Rebel without a cause. <laughs> But when it comes to this, when I can identify, I can identify myself and not just identify myself, but see my identity in front of me, the idea of representation, which is why you may have heard a big to do when like um, Black Panther came out and they said their children cried and said, look, the superhero, not the bad guy looks like me. Also people, people made a big deal of Gal Gadot and Wonder Woman. They said, look, the woman saved the day. She wasn't waiting for the man to save her. And yet a lot of people say this was so moving or with Kamala Harris uh, becoming a vice president. I thought one of the most beautiful things that people have pointed to, well, they said, not just young women need to see this, but this will do good for young men to see a woman in a prominent place of authority. Because then if we've only seen presidents and vice presidents since the beginning of the country being white male, then you're gonna be like, that is your natural assumption like we get, we get one person in 200 plus years with Obama who does not fit the, the uh, typecast that's so narrowly given. So when it, when it comes to this, 
I found the difficulty is when I can assume that what I look like, how I identify myself, how I understand myself, also writes all the books I read, it can be difficult for me to be able to engage other voices. So I have to be more intentional. I have to be more disciplined to flip over the book. And like Carl said, it's like, if, if you're looking for a woman's perspective, like to say, I need to seek out voices from within my tradition who have loyalty and fealty to Christ and to sit with them, the ones who do not experience things my way, who do not understand things my way, who have not seen the same part of America as I have. And to say, I'm not here to vet you to say whether you're right or wrong. I'm here to experience your story. And when it comes to the academic pursuit, that I'm not here to vet you and say, do you go with the mainstream white narrative that says all things are good and here's the best way to understand text and actually say, what is it within your academic discipline? Because like James Cohn is a doctor. So this, this isn't a guy who is a um, mental lesser than, he's brilliant. When we read Cornell West, he's brilliant. These are people that sometimes get played down because they don't communicate to more of the Western European to North American fashion that we assume. Remember, he's from North America too. So when it comes to this, he's a North American voice that we don't identify as North American because we say, it doesn't sound like the idealized North American voice that looks more like me. And it's been engaging these voices and honestly through books most often because I can find out who they are that have had to force me to recognize things I could not have experienced myself, which has led me to be able to hear people that are around me when they say, here's how I've experienced it. And I begin with curiosity and like, wow, tell me more about that experience rather than defense or betting. It's like, ho, 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 wait, wait, I had a rough childhood too. So we can't be that different. No, definitely. Um, and I, just just following up on what you're saying, bro. Mm -hmm. I would just say that, like, you know, if you're if you're someone who likes to read books, uh, I guarantee you there's a pattern to the types of books that you read. And I would say that probably, like, if you started reading, like, one out of every say four books was a, a voice that was counter to something you were used to hearing, and then one out of every four books was also a memoir telling a story that you haven't heard before. So, mm -hmm. like, two out of every four books were basically helping you to expand your own your own perspective and and actually enlarging your own story as well would would literally open up the world to you because i i know that i have been so impacted by hearing those voices that are outside of my own perspective that listening to the to the to the life stories not not just their thoughts but their actual life stories and lived experiences that are outside of my own as well because it it helps me to be able to see Christ and to see like the humanness of stories that don't look like my own. Right. And again, like my story, like, if I, you know, my story is kind of crazy and all over the map as well, but it also, like, I, I, I would say on the other side of it as well, then it can also help you find groundedness to your own story that you think is just weird. Cause all of a sudden you're like, Oh, that person has a perspective similar to mine in their narrative. And I, so I just think that like both, like for, for multiple ways, reasons, mm -hmm. it will help you to actually create space at the table of Christ long-term um, and, and like, like by expanding your own perspective. Like you'll look across the table and instead of saying like, why is that person here? It's like, man, I'm, I, I get why that person's here, right? Like, like it becomes, it, it begins to make sense to you, right? And, and I think that's a beautiful thing. No, that, that was one of my favorite things that um, 
Carol Fontaine, who was my teacher for Jewish folk tales, that's what she had her PhD in, um, gave me. And she said, in our culture, we've, we've tried so hard to make everyone the same rather than honor different experience. We've tried so hard to say that there's no difference, we're all alike. That we've erased the different experiences within culture. And she said, the beauty of the other is not something to be scared of or something not to name. She said, because by defining who is other, we actually get to understand ourselves as well. She said, the only trick is to make sure that once you understand who is other to you, you don't exile them. No, that's good, man. But she said, you'll never understand yourself without understanding other. Awesome, man. Well, I think it's, it's probably time that we wrap up what we're talking about for today. And so I think I've been really digging, like coming up with a summary statement versus summarizing the entire podcast. Um, so <laughs> I think Glenn, so Glenn, man, why don't you give me your summary statement and I'll give my summary statement and then I'll just wrap, I'll just give us a little, I'll just, you know, our, our typical wrap. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, my sentence for today would be that we learn to appreciate flexibility of meanings as we sit with people who do not perfectly represent us to create a more beautiful future. That's, that's good, man. I think my sentence for me would be allow the ground to lay fallow long enough that we can see new fruit being produced. Mm. I like that one better. It's more succinct. <laughs> like, bam, that's piffy. I like it. Awesome, man. I do my best. I do my best. And so with that, though, hey, man, we're, we're so grateful for you to join us on this conversation. And if you want to find more ways to connect with folks, to connect with us, uh, we would love for you to do that. And just go to www.fos.church. That's www.fos.church. And you're going to see all sorts of ways that you can connect, whether it's like joining like online Sunday gatherings, soap groups, different things, just different ways for you to be part of the conversation. And so with that, peace.